You're listening to audio from Queen City Church. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message will encourage you and offer practical steps for a relationship with God that keeps getting better and better. If you have your Bible, I want you to go to Matthew chapter 6, and I am going to continue this series. I will say I bring you greetings uh, from Dallas, Texas, uh, from my wife. Aunt, oh, there's a shout out to Dallas. Oh, one person. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Um, and uh, uh, we have, uh, my wife's name is Erin, and I actually met her because I uh, interviewed her to be my assistant. So don't judge me, the Lord works in mysterious ways. I know what you're doing right now. Uh, we have four beautiful kids. We have a nine-year-old daughter named Judah, seven-year-old son named Jaden, who's here. We have a three-year-old little girl named Jordan, and then we have uh, a son who will be two uh, in May, and his name is Justice. And so, yes, we are all J's. We've been asking my wife to change her name to Jaren, but she won't. So pray for us. But we're, we're so excited uh, to be, or I'm so excited to be with you today. So this is Matthew chapter 6. And just as a reminder, this is a series, the greatest sermon of all time. I'm just continuing this. Uh, and I love what Pastor Brian has taught us. He's, he's taught us that really this sermon is about the kingdom. It's about a king, and his name is Jesus, uh, establishing his kingdom through his people. And, and he has introduced us into this concept of repentance. And I love how he has communicated because repentance is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's actually a gift. And it simply means to change the way you think about something. When we change our mind or change the way we think about something, it ultimately ends up in changing our direction. And so Jesus in this series is teaching us how life or what life is like in his kingdom. And that is going to mean some things need to change about the way in which we think. And so today, I believe Jesus wants to change the way we think about worry. And so let's look at this. This is Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 25. Here's Jesus. He says, that is why I tell you. Now, let me pause right there, because if you have some translations say, therefore, okay, it's a connection to the verse before. And, and the verse before, Jesus talks about how we cannot serve two masters. We will either serve God or serve money, okay? And so, so Jesus says, he's now speaking to people that he's going, if you're choosing to serve God, Here's what you need to know, all right? He says, so that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Wow. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. So these basic necessities, he says, don't worry about it. Then he says, isn't life more than food. Now, let me just pause right there because I'm originally from Louisiana and uh, I appreciate food. Uh, love crawfish, love shrimp etouffee, love gumbo, love beignets. Like, I, I, I love those things. And so there's a part of me that when I read, isn't life more than food, I want to yell back to Jesus and go, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if it is. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Verse 26, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable? Everybody say valuable. Aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? 
Verse 26, and why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon, now Solomon was the third king of Israel. God had given him great riches and great wisdom. Okay, so he was dressed to the nines. He says, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care. Everybody say care. He will certainly care for you. Now, here's the big question. Why do you have so little faith? Verse 31. So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously according to God's standard and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow. Now I'm talking about the future. For tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today, today's trouble is enough for today. Isn't that good? The title of the message today is The Remedy for worry. The remedy for worry. About two years ago, uh, I had what I would consider a defining moment with my son, Jaden. Okay. Uh, my son, my son, Jaden, he is uh, pretty athletic. Uh, but at the time at five years old, uh, he wasn't very aggressive. Okay. Uh, there was there was no tenacity about him. There was no blood in the water, if you will. Like my, my son was the kid on the soccer team that when the opposing team would break out dribbling the ball to go score, my son would actually run, catch up with the person. And instead of kicking the soccer ball away or cutting him off, he would just run next to him and basically encourage him to score. Now, this was a real problem because my wife and I are has-been athletes and we're trying to live vicariously through our children, which is healthy parenting. And so we were livid, right? We told whose kid is this? He's doing it. Whose kid is this? But, but the truth is my son just didn't care. Like he just, he didn't care. He didn't care about soccer. He's just like, I'm, I'm with my friends. He didn't really care except for this particular day. On this particular day, my son decides he's going to have a conversation about soccer. It's, a, it's his soccer, his soccer games at one o'clock, okay? And this is the first time like ever that he's going to say something about the upcoming soccer game. Now you have to know I'm, I'm excited, right? Because I've been praying that God would give my son unhealthy aggression in soccer, all right? And, and, and so the fact that he's gonna even say something, like, I'm like, thank you for answering my prayers, Jesus. And so he, he starts this conversation, he goes, daddy, and you're hoping, like, he's probably going to say, Daddy, today I'm going to dominate. Today I'm scoring three goals. Today I'm biting kneecaps, Daddy, whatever I got to do. That's what I'm doing today. He says, he says, Daddy, and I go, well, yes, son. He says, Dad, and listen, this, this is the only thing he's saying about the soccer game coming up at 1 o'clock, all right? He says, Dad, I wonder who's bringing the snacks today. Church, something in me broke in that moment. It's broke. I'm like, if you want to play Legos, play Legos. I don't care anymore. Because I'm thinking, listen, your, your biggest concern, the thought that's preoccupying your mind right now, your greatest worry, if you will, 
is who's bringing the snacks. Now, we laugh about it, but I got to thinking, what about you today? In your honest moments, what would you say is your greatest concern? What would you say is the preoccupying thought? What would you say you are worried about? If you're like me, sometimes my worry is about the future. Sometimes it's about a a family relationship. Sometimes it has to do with with money and finances. Maybe maybe you're here and you're worried about making the team, making the grade, or, or better yet, can we make this marriage work? Maybe you're here today and you're worried about a health diagnosis. You're worried about a child. Or you're worried about a parent. I don't know where you are today, but, but I wonder if in our mon- honest moments, all of us have something that we're probably worried about. See, here's, here's what statistics say. This is Barner Research. He says that about 60% of adults struggle with worry and stress on a daily basis. I, I actually believe it's more than that. Tim Elmore, who is a leadership guru and a millennial expert, says that 94% of college students say they are overwhelmed. 94%. In some form or fashion, they're overwhelmed, they're stressed, they are worried. The World Health Organization says that although America is the most affluent nation in the world, we have a bigger problem with worry than any other people group. And the truth is, in in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25, the scripture says, worry weighs us down. So when you think about these stats, you think about the impact of worry, we we come to this place, what do we do with the worry? I love, as Jesus begins to speak about the kingdom, he says that there is a remedy for worry. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. But before we jump into that, let me first define what worry is. What, what is, what is worry? What, what does this really mean? I was putting my notes together and when I got to that point, uh, I couldn't help but think about the, the YouTube video that came out probably, I don't know, over 10 years ago with the double rainbow. Anybody remember the double rainbow video? If you haven't seen it, there's a guy who is uh, clearly high as a kite or inebriated and he is looking out over the mountains and he sees a rainbow and he's like, it's a rainbow. And then as he keeps looking out, he sees another rainbow and he's like, it's a double rainbow. And then he like starts breaking down. You remember this? He started, he's like, oh, what does this mean? What does this mean? And it's hilarious. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. It'll bless you today. But he's like, what does this mean? Just think about that. So what is it? What does it really mean? We talk about worry, but what does it really mean? When I looked at the etymology of this word, the word worry comes from an old English word that actually means to choke or to strangle. The word picture is that of a dog or a wolf that grabs its prey by the neck and strangles it and shakes it. Think about this. Those of us that have struggled with worry before in our honest moments, haven't you felt suffocated? The the Greek word that Jesus uses here, and remember uh, the Old Testament was primarily written in Hebrew, the New Testament in Greek. The Greek word that Jesus uses here is the Greek word merimnao. Merimnao, and in a positive sense, the word merimnao 
is used of effectively distributing concern in proper relation to the whole. In other words, it's, it's, it's appropriately saying, I'm concerned about these things in the relationship to this, okay? It's, it's a positive sense, a positive piece of giving concern. In, in the negative sense in which it's most often used in the New Testament, it's to be drawn in opposite directions, divided into parts, figuratively to go to pieces because you're being pulled apart in different directions, literally to be divided or distracted. Like there's a sense that, that your mind is being pulled in so many different directions, it's like you just crumble to pieces. And I think sometimes in the space of worry, that's where we find ourselves. The dictionary says that worry is mental distress or agitation resulting from concern, usually from something impending or anticipated. I like to say it like this. Worry is care gone crazy. Worry is the dominating thought that distresses and distracts us. Worry is a concern that keeps us up at night. That's what worry is. I remember uh, several years ago, I was in a season where uh, I woke up at two or three in the morning and just about every morning and, and I would honestly start working. And I would tell my wife, like, hey, because she'd say, well, why are you waking up? And I said, well, I'm, I just, I can think so clearly, and I can get a lot of work done, and so I'm doing these things. And I just thought, man, I'm just waking up 2 and 3 in the morning. And this went on for several weeks, and finally she said, Jelani, I, I don't think that you are waking up because you work better at this time. I think that you're waking up because you're worried, that, that there is a concern And it's okay, listen, to be concerned about things. It's just when concern goes crazy. It's just instead of you having concern, concern has you. And so I was waking up because I was worried. Worry is the concern that keeps us up at night. So what do we do about worry? Jesus, in this passage, he gives us the remedy for worry. And I want to give it to you very simply. The remedy for worry is trust. The remedy for worry is trust. Why do you say that, Jelani? Well, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 30, the end of that verse, Jesus says, why do you have so little faith? Why do you have so little faith? I want to remind you that faith is belief in action. Faith is active trust. So what Jesus is saying in this is he said, listen, the the reason why you're struggling with worry is because you don't trust God enough. You you don't really trust God enough. Now, what I love is this quote by Pastor Craig Rochelle, because I think his, his, uh, his quote really drives this home. Pastor Craig Rochelle says this, what we worry about the most often reveals where we trust God the least. What we worry about the most often reveals where we trust God the least. What are you worried about today? Jesus says, I've got a remedy for worry, and the the remedy for worry is trust. And here's what I want to submit to you today, church. 
that Jesus in this passage provides two overarching thoughts that fuel our ability to trust him. Jesus actually in this passage says, I'm going to give you two overarching thoughts and these thoughts will actually be fuel for you to really trust God. And here's number one. We got to understand how God sees us. Understand how God sees us. Let me ask you a question. How do you think God sees you? How do you think God sees you? If if we were to ask my kids, I already know what they would say. In fact, I'm going to put a picture of my, my children up on the screen so you can see them. Uh, so so this, is, this is the Lewis family. This is my daughter, uh, Judah, on the right-hand side, uh, holding her brother, Justice, with the mini afro. And then you have Jade in there with the fro hawk. And then you have... Jordan on the bottom left with her hand open and the half smile. She's going to be the president one day, y'all. She's like a boss, okay? Um, but, but this is my family, and aren't they cute? The, the problem is they know it. They, they know it. Like, like we go into restaurants and people are so complimentary and so kind. And in fact, just a few months ago, we're at a restaurant and our server comes up to the table and all of my kids are down eating. They just have their face down there eating. And then the server says, oh my goodness, your family is so beautiful. And my daughter goes, we know, and then just keeps eating. So, so if you were to ask my kids, hey, what is, what is God, you know, how does God see you? They would probably say he sees us as awesome and humble, okay? He sees this as awesome. Let me ask you, though. You think God sees you as awesome? Or do you think God sees you as awful? Do you think God sees you as a blessing, or do you think God sees you as a burden? Are you a problem? Are you broken? Are you damaged? Are you insignificant to God? The truth is that according to the text that we just read, God actually sees us as valuable. Here's what the scripture says. Matthew chapter 6 verse 26. Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Jesus says you're valuable to God. Let me just remind you of a couple other scriptures. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, uh, Paul says that we are God's masterpiece. Well, we are his, his apex work of art. In uh, uh, 1 Peter chapter uh, 2 verse 9, the Bible says that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. That we are a holy nation. That's how God sees us. According to, to what Pastor Brian taught uh, in Matthew chapter 5, we are salt and light. That's how God sees us. God sees us as fearfully and wonderfully made. He sees us as overcomers. He sees us as his children. Church, I want to remind you today, the way that God sees you may not be the way you see yourself. He sees us as valuable. And according to Romans chapter 8, verse 31, this is how valuable God sees us. Scripture says, what shall we say then, or what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? And the answer is no one. Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Wow. 
That's so good. Yeah, that's, that's a place to clap. It's so good. Listen, here's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, listen, God thought you were so valuable and he thought I was so valuable that he sent his only son, Jesus, to die for our sins so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have a relationship with him, so that we could spend forever with him in eternity, and so that we could establish his kingdom here on earth. And Paul says, God loved you so much that he would do that. Guess what? If he'll give his son, he'll take care of everything else you need because you're that valuable to him. So God sees us as valuable. And here's why this is important. If we think we matter little to God, we will struggle to trust God big. If we think we matter little to God, we will struggle to trust God big because we don't trust people who don't value us. So Jesus says, you have to understand how God sees you and he sees you as valuable. Here's the second overarching thought that fuels our ability to trust God. We have to expand how we see God. We have to expand how we see God. So yes, we need to understand how God sees us, but also we need to expand how we see God. I go back to Matthew chapter six, verse 30. And he says, why is your faith so little. He doesn't say you don't have any faith. He just says your faith isn't big enough. The the way you see God isn't great enough. You need to expand the way you see God. So here's my question for you. How do you see God? A.W. Tozer, who who was a famous uh, pastor and author, says this quote, he says, what comes into your minds when we think about God, excuse me, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And here's why, because whatever you think about when you think about God determines how you respond to God. Whatever you think about and whatever I think about when we think about God determines how we respond to God. In other words, if I see God as distant as opposed to present, guess what? I'm going to respond to him that way. If I I see God as angry as opposed to amicable, guess what? I'm going to respond that way. If I see God as a sugar daddy in the sky, just gives me everything I want, I'm going to respond that way. If I see him as a cosmic Santa Claus and he's upstairs you know, making a list and checking it twice, which by the way, I'm from Louisiana. We didn't call him Santa Claus. We called him homie Claus. Um, anyway, just side note. But it's going to impact how I respond to God. So here's the question. What do you think about when you think about God? How do you see God? What's profound about this passage is that Jesus is trying to shake the way that we view God. In fact, he uses a term twice in this passage that he uses in the Sermon on the Mount at least 17 times. Twice in the passage that we just read, Jesus refers to God as your heavenly father. And at least 17 times in the Sermon on the Mount, he references God as father. As if to say, listen, in our kingdom, in my kingdom, 
In the kingdom that we operate in as believers, you have to understand something about God. He's not just God. He's a good father. Now, here's, here's the truth. I recognize that when I mention the term father, all of us have various reactions to that. Because for some of us, we had an incredible father growing up, an incredible biological father or father figure. And, and so when, when I mention the word father, it conjures up an amazing uh, emotional response because it was so good. But then there's some of us, if we're honest, you start talking about father, it doesn't feel so good. We, we didn't have a great experience with our earthly fathers. In fact, I was with a group of pastors and leaders uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we were all sharing our stories. It was about 14 of us, and literally every single one of us had a significant father wound. So in this room, I know that when I talk about God being father, that it can conjure up different feelings. But here's what you have to understand. Often what we do is we project our experience with our earthly father on our heavenly father. The problem is, is that our earthly fathers weren't perfect, but our heavenly father's perfect. Our heavenly father is not a bigger version of your earthly father. He is perfect and he has perfect character and he is perfect in his actions and he is perfect in his love for you. That's your heavenly father. And so, and so Jesus says, you, you, I need to expand the way you think about God, that he is a good heavenly father. And, and he goes into some things that I just want to highlight for a moment that I think communicate the type of father God is. First of all, your heavenly father is a provider. He's, he's a provider. He takes care of your needs. Matthew 6, 26, he says, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. He says he takes care of their needs. He's a provider. Matthew 6.33 says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. He is provider. Now, now I have to say this because this is a significant verse in this discussion. Jesus says, seek first or above all else, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. This is so important because what Jesus is saying here, if we're going to live in this kingdom and operate the way in which God wants, we have to make a decision that above all else, we're going to seek the kingdom of God. Uh, we like to say it at Gateway, we are not problem focused, we're kingdom focused. Yes, problems are going to come up, but our focus is on the kingdom. It's on the king's dominion. It's on the king's desires. So, so in other words, here's what this looks like. When we talk about seeking the kingdom of God, it means that God has priority in my life and in my decision making. In other words, God is not a part of my life. God is the very center of my life and everything orbits around it. God is not a, a, a line in the checklist. No, he's the first in the list that sets the order for the rest. You see, I, I'm in the Bible belt and, and I don't meet people that I talk to, especially church people. They don't go, hey, um, when I say, ask them something about God, well, listen, God is second place in my life. Woo! That's not what they say. They always say God is first, but listen, oftentimes God is first philosophically, not functionally. Functionally, 
God being first means everything else in your life revolves around him. God being first means he's the center. He has your attention. He is the backdrop of your life. That means that you are kingdom focused, not problem focused. That means like Jesus, Jesus said, I only do what I see my father doing and I only say what I hear my father saying. In every situation, I'm thinking, God, what are you doing and how would you like for us to respond? That's powerful. That's powerful. My my wife does an amazing job at this. She works uh, at a a women's clothing store, which, by the way, I'm the only person I know whose wife got a job and we lost money. Okay, like I'm like, like I should have never let her work at a women's clothing store. She comes. I mean, she looks good. I'm not mad at her. Like she looks good. I'm like, we're going bankrupt, babe. You can't get a job and we lose money. How does that happen? But listen, she's incredible because she shows up at this job. And, and this isn't a job for her. This is an assignment. That there, there are younger women in that, in, that, in, that, uh, in that store, and my wife is constantly going, God, are you opening a door? What should I say? How should I uh, operate? Can I pray for them now? Like constantly, she is looking for the kingdom move in the area that she's serving. Like she will pray with some people. Like literally, there will be women that come in the store that are going through a difficult time. She'll step aside, encourage them, and pray for them outside of the store. Like literally walk them out and say, let me pray for you. She'll have a moment with her coworkers where she prays for them and encourages them and speaks life. And she is salt and light in that space. But she operates from a place of when I step into that space, I am on a kingdom assignment. I'm thinking kingdom here. I'm thinking kingdom. So whatever sphere of life, whatever your circle is, guess what? Think kingdom. God, what are you doing? What are you saying? I'll tell you one of the things that helps me is I will actually pray through my day in the morning. I pull out my calendar. I can see the list of things that I have. And I will take a moment and I will literally pray through every meeting before I ever get into the meeting. And I'll go, God, you are Jehovah Shema, which means the Lord is there. You are already in my meeting. And so I, I start to pray. I've got a meeting with Brian at five o'clock. So I'm praying for Brian. I'm praying for his family. I'm praying for God to show up. Guess what? I'm attuning my mind to what the king would desire in that meeting. I'm seeking first the kingdom of God. That's what I'm doing. And he says, if you'll do that, Instead of focusing on your problems, your issues, your challenges, even your needs, guess what? I'll meet your needs. Now, he's not saying don't pray for our needs. We have that in Scripture. He's not even saying you don't think about it. I needed to think about what I would wear today. Okay? He's not saying that. He's just saying that the focus is kingdom. And if we can focus on kingdom, the king will take care of our needs because Our God is a good father and a provider. Here's the second thing Jesus says, though. He says, not only is your heavenly father a provider, your heavenly father is careful. Your heavenly father is careful. In other words, he is full of care for you. This is Matthew 630. And if God God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire, he will certainly care for you for you. First Peter 5, 6, and 7 says, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares for you. What is Peter saying? He's saying the catalyst 
for us, bringing our cares to God is an understanding of how much God cares for us. What's interesting is that word care there uh, that talks about God when it says God cares for you. It doesn't mean God's worried. It actually means he's attentive. Did you know that God's paying attention to you? And his desire is that you wouldn't carry your worries. His desire is that you would give him your worries. And according to Philippians chapter four, verse six, that we're to be anxious or worry about nothing, but pray about everything. So how do we bring our cares and concerns to God? We pray about them. And Philippians says with thanksgiving. So we add a little Cajun sauce on that. And and then we bring that to God. And he says, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and mind. In other words, you bring God your pain, your concern. And he says, I'll give you peace. Do you know what peace is? Peace is wholeness. Remember what worry was in the Greek? It was divided or pulled to pieces. And he says, I'll give you peace or I'll make you whole. Doesn't mean it's going to fix everything. It's going to fix internally and you'll have rest and peace. Now, listen, this message, this is not just a sermon for me. I live this. Because about six and a half years ago, at about two o'clock in the morning, I was in the emergency room. And they're running all kinds of tests on me. And the reason why they're running tests on me is because I've been having stomach pain for weeks. And finally, I wake up at one o'clock in the morning and I'm having such stomach pain that my wife says, listen, you need to go to the doctor now. You need to go to the hospital. And so I go to the hospital. And I'm sitting there and they're running all these tests. They're doing uh, EKGs and things like that. And, and I'm sitting there. And let me tell you why I'm sitting there. I'm sitting there not because I was hit in the stomach. I was sitting there not because I ate something. I was sitting there because something was eating me. You see, I had literally worried myself sick. And the reason why I worried myself sick is because I didn't understand how God saw me. And I needed to expand how I saw God. And ultimately, I wasn't trusting him and casting my cares on him. But I stand in front of you today. I hadn't had stomach pain in years. You know why? Because God is trustworthy. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I just want to ask you, what's the Holy Spirit saying to you in this message? In a moment, Pastor Brian's going to lead us in a response time. I just want you to take a moment right now. Just say, God, what are you speaking to me? And so, Father, we say you're trustworthy. And our desire is to cast our cares on you because you care for us. Help us to understand how you see us and expand how we see you. In Jesus' name. If there's anything in your life that we can pray for, please visit queencitypeople.com slash prayer. For the latest updates on our church, follow us on social media at queencitypeople or visit queencitypeople.com.